0: How's it going, everyone? My name is Adam, and you're listening to the West Coast Bible Teacher. This is the show where we are teaching the Word of God, one podcast at a time. And uh, two weeks ago, we finished the book of Judges after a long and uh, often depressing study um, where we learned about how the nation of Israel was constantly failing God's purposes for them. The nation of Israel is meant to serve as a lesson for us within the Judges' narrative. We don't want to get to the point where we have found ourselves completely immersed in the distractions of this world, to where doing God's will has become only a secondary thought, if that. But that's where Israel was during most of the narrative of the book of Judges. And it took a horrific event, as we saw at the very end of the book to get the tribes of Israel to finally unify and take somewhat of a stand for godliness. And even at that point, they, uh, they still managed to screw things up. <laughs> now, last week I took a break from the podcast, but uh, I hope that everyone had a good, safe week. And uh, this week, of course, we're back. And it's good to be back. And I'm um, happy to say that, uh, uh, by the way, I've, uh, I've for the most part fixed up my, uh, my website again. All of my past episodes of West Coast Bible Teacher are now on my website for you to go back and listen to uh, whenever you want, and uh, I'll be doing my very best now to keep up to date with it each week. I was having problems working my website uh, for a few months now because of these glitches and all these things that were occurring with uh, WordPress. And uh, it was just making things super difficult. And it doesn't help that I'm already incredibly busy during the week with my full-time job and all these these different things. And so I didn't have lots of time to get to fixing it. Um, So for a while, my website was in limbo. And uh, it was pretty embarrassing. If you visited my website just two weeks ago, you would have saw that I hadn't updated it since... Judges chapter 5, but by the grace of God, he did indeed provide a solution over the past week, and I was in fact able to uh, get my website for the most part fixed up and updated, and so I'm looking forward to continuing this ministry in every facet of things. And so this week, we're getting into the book of Ruth. Now, at the very beginning of Ruth, Ruth 1 verse 1. It tells us that the events of this book takes place during the days when the judges ruled. So, Ruth takes place during the time of the judges, which we just got done studying. (laughs) The days of the judges was an incredibly dark and depressing time during the nation of Israel. And yet, God was still at work in the lives of those who were faithful to him, as we will see in the book of Ruth. Throughout the Bible, there are many instances where we see the Lord rewarding and blessing those who have remained faithful to him during dark times that were ruled by unfaithfulness and evil. During the days of Noah, the earth was filled with wickedness. And yet we see that Noah was a man who was upright and pure, and thus the Lord had favor upon Noah and his family. And so God's hand was upon Noah. So, even during dark times, where worldliness and ungodliness reigns, we still got to remain faithful to the Lord even then. It may not be easy at times, sure, you know, there there might be some peer pressure and whatnot, but God expects us to be obedient even during dark periods in the world, and the Lord will indeed have his hand upon those who do remain obedient to him. Recently in the podcast, I mentioned how in the first episode of, uh, not the first episode, the first epistle of Peter, (laughs) episodes, right? In the first epistle of Peter, the apostle wrote that the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Now this is what we will see happen within the story of Ruth. At the beginning of the book, Ruth and Naomi are struggling to survive. But after both of them have their faith tested for a time, in which they pass the test of faith we will see, we see that the Lord does indeed come through at the end, and He blesses them beyond anything that they could have expected. Perhaps this segues well into the different themes that Bible students have found. Uh, to be in the book of Ruth. You will often hear that one of the main themes of Ruth is that of redemption. In fact, uh, here's how the uh, NIV Study Bible articulates this. It says, the book is primarily a story of Naomi's transformation from despair to happiness through the selfless, God-blessed acts of Ruth and Boaz. Naomi moves from emptiness to fullness, from destitution to security and hope. And then here the author of the NIV Study Bible goes on to compare this with how the nation of Israel at one point, went through a transformation from despair and immorality. And this was during the time of Eli the priest. And uh, they went from that, you know, despair and and darkness and whatnot, to security and hope, which occurred during the reign of Solomon. And all of this occurred through the humble and self-sacrificing acts of David as king. Now, I do believe, of course, that we can find a spiritual application in all this. For as we see, or as we will see, at the start of Ruth, Naomi is indeed a woman who is overwhelmed by the hardships of life. And she's lost, and she's confused. She is in despair and desperation. But then, through the selfless acts of Ruth and Boaz, she is brought to a place of spiritual strength and long-lasting hope. We as believers, prior to our conversion, we're just like sheep, wandering astray, turning to our own way. But yet the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53.6 Through the selfless sacrifice of Jesus, we have all been brought to a place of long-lasting restoration and hope. In fact, it's not just long-lasting, but rather it is something that we will be rejoicing over both now and for eternity. Now, Boaz particularly is interesting in relation to this. For towards the end of the story of Ruth, we see him take the role of what is known as the Kinsman Redeemer. And Jesus Christ is our Kinsman Redeemer. So through the character of Boaz, we will see that there is a beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ. And of course, we'll be getting into this in the coming weeks. But another underlying theme of Ruth that scholars have noted is that of God's providence. One of the most wonderful things that you can do in your Christian walk to revive your joy in the Lord, to put things in better perspective, things that you might be dealing with right now, one of the most wonderful things you can do is reflect upon the providence that God has demonstrated throughout your life. Seeing how God has indeed provided for you, and has been faithful to you in past circumstances. And this will give you greater strength and hope for your present situation in life. One commentator writes, quote, The theological message of the book of Ruth may be summarized as follows. God cares for needy people like Naomi and Ruth. He is their ally in this chaotic world. He richly rewards people like Ruth and Boaz, who demonstrate sacrificial love, and in doing so become his instruments in helping the needy. God's rewards for those who sacrificially love others sometimes exceed their wildest imagination and transcend their lifetime. Now, there is another aspect of God's providence at work in the book of Ruth. And that involves his providence over the entire nation of Israel and his plan for that nation. Ruth plays a significant role since she was the grandmother of David. And thus, through the book of Ruth, we see how God had his protective hand over the family line that eventually led to David. And this ultimately led to the birth of Jesus Christ. For Ruth is famously found within the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of Matthew. So within Ruth, we see how God always kept his providential hand upon the human line that would eventually lead to the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many other things that we can talk about in relation to Ruth, for commentators have found a multitude of different theological themes within this short book. But to keep today's podcast going, you know, we got to move forward. (laughs) Um, I should first say, actually, I should say a few words, I guess, about the date and authorship of Ruth. Um, Concerning the latter, um, the Babylonian Talmud held that the author of Ruth was the prophet Samuel, who, of course, lived during the days right before the monarchy period in Israel. And it is said that the Talmud's recognition of Samuel as the author of Ruth is reflective of ancient Jewish tradition. However, modern-day conservative scholars uh, have not necessarily taken this as meaning that Samuel was in fact likely the author. Some say it's possible, but again, a possibility is not a definite. Bible students have pointed to the fact, for instance, that at the end of Ruth, we get the genealogy that leads to David. And this is a strong indication that the book of Ruth was written well into the monarchy period, after David had ascended to the throne as king. Now, Samuel, of course, passed away before David became king over Judah. If you remember... There's that famous story in 1 Samuel chapter 28, where Saul wanted to know if he would have success in battle, but the Lord wouldn't respond to him. So he visited a witch who lived in the place called Endor. And when he came to this witch, this woman who practiced divination, he told her, bring up Samuel. In other words, through her ways of witchcraft, he wanted her to get him in communication with the dead, for Samuel had been passed away for some time by that point. And this was all, of course, before David's official ascension to the throne. That and for other reasons, many Bible students reject the notion that Ruth was written by Samuel. Thus, the question remains, who wrote the book of Ruth? And that question has simply uh, remained unanswered. There are a lot of questions regarding Ruth that unfortunately remain unanswered. Another question that more or less remains unanswered is when the book of Ruth was written. Again, because of the reference to David at the end of the book, and the fact that it appears that Ruth was written to show God's divine hand over David's line... Bible students have simply accepted that Ruth was written sometime after David ascended to the throne as king over Israel. How much later afterwards? Seems to be, at this point, only a matter of speculation. But with all this in mind now, let's go ahead and dive into it. Now it came to pass, in the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now the first verse here does indeed give us a lot of background as to the circumstances that surrounded uh, everything that's about to transpire in the narrative. This took place sometime during the dark and tumultuous period of the Judges. And during this time there was apparently a famine one that had been ongoing for some time by this point when the the, the book of Ruth picks up. Many believe that this small bit of detail, that there was a famine during this period, evokes that which the Lord laid out within the book of Deuteronomy. Moses affirmed in Deuteronomy 28, If thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, then many curses will follow. And a portion of these curses included that of famine verses thirty eight through forty of Deuteronomy twenty eight. Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shall gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but thou shalt neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all thy coasts, but thou shalt not anoint thyself with oil, for thine olive shall cast his fruit. And during the time of the judges, the nation of Israel did indeed transgress against God's covenant in very significant ways. And therefore the mentioning of the famine here, at the start of the book of Ruth, can serve as a reminder to the reader that this was indeed a time in Israel's history where her people were not walking in holiness, and thus they were paying the consequences for it. This was indeed a dark and difficult time in Israel's history. Many people were suffering as we're about to see. Isn't it sad how often when a nation turns against the Lord, many people have to suffer, including those who are, indeed submitted to the Lord, and living in holiness. Yet God will still remember those who are living in faithfulness unto him. And we're about to see this. Now, at verse 1 here, we're introduced to a man. This is Naomi's husband, as we're about to see. And we read that he went to sojourn in the country of Moab with his wife, Naomi, and their two sons. Verse 2 tells us that the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Maulon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem Judah. And they came into the country of Moab, and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Hmm. Tough situation. Becoming a widow was hard back then, it's very hard now, it always has been a very sad and difficult thing when a woman tragically loses her husband, the one who has supported and provided for her, the one who she's grown close to for many years. Well, what happened was she was left with her two sons, and in verse 4, her sons took them wives of the woman of Moab... The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. But then Malam and Chilion died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. So Naomi, she first lost her husband Elimelech. And all she had left was her two sons and their wives, her daughters-in-law. But then her two sons died. Her immediate family has been taken away from her. At least that's the conclusion we see her come to within the next few passages. And so all she has left as a widow are her two daughters-in-law. And they're both widows now. So we see that the start of the book of Ruth is quite sad. The reader is introduced to what appears to be a hopeless situation. And we'll see that Naomi indeed feels quite hopeless and lost. But, God is still working behind the scenes, and he hasn't forgotten about Naomi. Nor has he completely forsaken all of his people in Israel, though these were indeed trying times. We read next in verse 6, that she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how... The Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. You see, Naomi heard that back in Bethlehem, the Lord was providing for his people. He hadn't forgotten about them. He was providing bread for them. He was providing food. This is interesting because Bible students point out that it was a mistake for Naomi and her husband back in the day to leave Bethlehem. Bethlehem was the promised land. They went to seek refuge in the city of Moab, a foreign town, a foreign city. Now, this to me, gives us a very interesting spiritual application. Those of you who have been following my podcast, know that I've equated the promised land with the abundant life that Jesus has in store for all who come to him. But some believers never actually make it to the promised land in their lives. They never achieve that abundant life. But some might come close. They might start actually doing a lot of things for the Lord, things that He has in store for them, and they start attending midweek Bible study and church every Sunday morning, and you even even go on Sunday nights because you're involved and you're helping out at the booths afterwards and all. However, certain things start to happen in life. The famine hits, and you go through trial. You start experiencing difficulty, you know, things that you didn't see coming. And in order to escape from this, you know, in order to, uh, in order to self-medicate from the trial you're experiencing, you go and seek refuge in a foreign land. You start playing with sin. You start not attending church like you once were, and instead you're spending your weekends out at the the nightclubs and the bars and all these things. You're experiencing a famine, you know, trial, pain. And you think that going out and doing these things, living the nightlife, will help you to feel better. But then over time, you start to realize that this lifestyle is not what will truly satisfy you or mend the, the wounds that need to be mended and healed in your life due to trial. And your Christian friends, who you used to sit next to at the Wednesday night home group or Bible study, they're calling you, they're texting you. Hey, Amanda, or, you know, hey, hey, Brandon, you know, hey, man, we, you know, we, we miss seeing you at Bible study. You got to come out to Bible study again, man. You know, we're, we're going through a good study in Romans right now or Ephesians or something, you know, and, and we're being fed, man, spiritually. It's awesome. It's been a blessing. God's been doing a work in our lives. You know, the, the Lord is giving us bread. He's providing us with bread. <laughs> you got to come back. You got to come back to the house of God. Maybe you, the listener, used to be in Bethlehem. But then due to difficult circumstances in your life, you found yourself in the land of Moab. And right now you're still in the land of Moab. You've wandered away from the Bible, and you've stopped going to Bible study, all to a difficult famine, a difficult trial that's come into your life. It's time to come back to Bethlehem. It's time to leave Moab. I would encourage you, the listener, it's time. So verse 7, Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, Naomi is telling them, Don't come with me to Bethlehem. You know, return to your mother's house And let me go off and continue living this miserable life that God's given me, you know. (laughs) You shouldn't have to share in my sufferings, she's saying. The Lord grant you, in verse 9, that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. So she's encouraging her daughter-in-laws to return to their homeland and get remarried. Perhaps the Lord will have mercy upon them, and bless them, as they are still much younger than her, and have many more years ahead of them, you know. But in verse 10 they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. They don't want to leave Naomi. They want to stick with her. It's safe to assume that Naomi's daughters-in-law had grown very close with her, and they didn't want to leave her. But Naomi is persistent in her pleas, that they would leave and go their own way. Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you, you, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having uh, husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, there is always hope. We can never lose hope. Here we see that Naomi is bitter. She's lost. She's feeling hopeless, or at least that is what it appears. Now, even when the entire world is falling down in front of us, the Christian still has hope that they can hold on to. Paul said, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus himself. Said in the gospel of Matthew. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. But cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body. In hell. Even when it all appears to be hopeless in this present life. We still have that eternal hope. Which is real and eternal. (laughs) That's why Paul further stated that he was convinced that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will indeed one day be revealed in us. Such can, in fact, give us hope even when the present circumstances around us seem utterly hopeless. If you remember, at the end of the book of Habakkuk, The prophet was reflecting on the devastation of Israel, as she was judged for her great sins, And he no doubt was broken. He was broken hearted for his own people, the Jewish race. And he did indeed declare at the end of it, the fig tree is not going to (laughs) bud. There won't be any grapes on the vine. The crops will fail. The fields will not produce any fruit. What does he conclude at the end of it all? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. I believe that such a perspective will indeed give us hope when it seems like there is nothing left. You still have your eternity in the Lord, and that can't compare to anything that we may lose while in this earthly life. Now in Naomi's case... She says in verse 13, that the hand of the Lord has gone against her. This is something that we see her assert uh, a few times throughout this opening chapter. But she's telling her daughters-in-law, why would you want to stay with me? The hand of the Lord has come against me. And so in verse 14, they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Orpah, her other daughter-in-law, we see that she finally decides to take heed to her mother-in-law's wishes, and she leaves Naomi. And in the following verse, verse 15, it tells us that she returned to her gods back in her homeland. So Orpah, she decided to return to her gods. She left Naomi and Ruth. This presents an interesting contrast between Orpah and Ruth. Both appear to really want to stay and remain loyal to Naomi. But after a little bit of time, Orpah decided to go back and return to her gods, which evokes uh, perhaps a particular pagan deity, or perhaps multiple deities that the Moabites worshipped back in those days. Now, Ruth, we see that she not only wanted to stay with Naomi, but she promises that she will remain dedicated to her God, Naomi's God, the God of Israel. Verse 16, Ruth told her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. So again, we see here the contrast between Orpah and Ruth. Orpah seems to have a desire to stay with Naomi. However, after hearing Naomi's rationale that life with her won't be a satisfying one, Orpah decides to, indeed, return home to her other gods. There are some people today who are much like Orpa. They express interest in dedicating their lives to Jesus Christ. And they might have this interest for many years. You know, they might always have this yearning, this, this interest to dedicate their lives to the Lord. They have family members who are Christian. And they go to church with them every year at Christmas Eve, right? Or at Easter. And whenever they're, you know, whenever they're in church once or twice a year, they do enjoy it. They do feel that pull, that tug of the Holy Spirit. But they never make that final commitment. They never finally hand their life over to the Lord and permanently become a follower of Christ. Instead, they just beat around the bush And the reason why is because they simply don't want to give up that which they already have. They have the desire to become a Christian, but they also don't want to give up their present comforts. We see such play out in the Gospels when Jesus first gave the inhabitants of this earth the opportunity to follow him. In John chapter 6, for instance, we have that famous passage where we saw that many who had become disciples of Jesus were beginning to find his teachings rather difficult and hard to accept. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, we read, "...from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him." Bible students have talked about the reasons as to why these disciples left Jesus. Back during that teaching... Jesus had been going over a number of difficult things to take in and comprehend, such as the contrast between the flesh and the spirit, along with the eating and drinking of his flesh and blood. Commentator Leon Morris writes, The events of this chapter, John chapter 6, had made it all too clear that following him meant something different from anything they had anticipated. Nothing is said to give us a clear idea of their views, but the, probab- the probability is that they were interested in a messianic kingdom in line with the general expectation. Grant Osborne, within his commentary on John, he writes quote, As we have seen throughout John, Jesus' ministry fermented division. For while he did spectacular sign miracles, he said things that were both confusing and extremely unsettling. As the living revealer of God, he shone on every person the light of God, and overcame the darkness of the world. However, those of darkness did not want the light and opposed it, and so there could be no neutrality. One either embraces light or darkness, and those who prefer the latter must turn away from him. You see, there are those who do indeed have the desire to come to Christ. They don't necessarily want to live a life that is completely void of God or the things of the Spirit. But the problem is they don't want everything that goes along with being a follower of Christ. They wish that they, you know, could just pick and choose what they want, you see. We we all have a choice in life. Are we going to submit ourselves to the Lord and follow His ways in faith? Or are we instead going to sit back and uh, stick with our other gods? That which brings us comfort or keeps us in our comfort zone. Orpah, she ultimately decided to follow down the path that Naomi had encouraged her to go on. It sounded much more beneficial and substantial for her to return to her homeland, to her other gods, and uh, you know, find for herself another husband. But Ruth, in faith, she said, No, <laughs> I'll stick with you wherever you go. And I'll be with your God. I'll stick with your God. Your God, Naomi, will be my God. Ruth was choosing to put her faith in the one true God, the God of Israel. And in faith, she was making the decision to cleave unto Naomi and continue on with her back to the promised land. Oh, will the Lord bless the one who does indeed make that decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and follow after him, no matter what the direction of their life may go because of it. We are to walk by faith, not by what, not by sight. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Do you, the listener, have that faith? The type of faith that will lead you into uncharted waters. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. And here we see that by faith, Ruth is making the decision to continue on in this journey with Naomi, not knowing where it would take her. And in verse 17, Ruth continues her vow unto Naomi, Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And so when Naomi saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? Evidently, the people of the city, you see, recognized Naomi though she had been gone for a very long time. But Naomi responds to the inhabitants of the land, telling them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now, again, we see the hopeless and bitter spirit that has been uh, oppressing Naomi. Her name, Naomi, actually means that which is pleasant. It evokes pleasantness. But at this point, Naomi saw her life as anything but pleasant. And so she's admonishing the people to instead refer to her as Mara. And the word Mara, the name Mara, means bitterness. And that was her outlook on life. Bitter, depressed. And then she tells them, this is what God has done to me. Again, we see Naomi is putting the blame on God. Now, God will sometimes discipline his children. We've talked about this. However, even when God disciplines us, that doesn't mean that we should be left without hope. Everything that Naomi experienced thus far, whether or not it was actually the discipline of God, what matters here is that it left her without hope, and that's the wrong perspective. Even when God does discipline us, he's doing so to refine us and make us purer in him. And as a result of that, we can move forward in our Christian walk, serving him stronger and more faithfully than ever. And that's the point. You know, there is indeed a stage where we move forward, past the famine, past the trial, the difficulty that we've experienced. Don't lose hope while you're in your trial, for there is a future ahead of you. A future where you're not necessarily experiencing all that you might be experiencing now. But you need to have faith right now that God will indeed get you there. Naomi had not yet developed such faith. She was thinking, "All right, well, you know, this is as good as it's going to get, you know. (laughs) Call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. Sometimes we blame God for the difficulties we experience even though we've brought it all upon ourselves. Sometimes we haven't necessarily brought it upon ourselves, whatever we're dealing with, yet at the same time we still can't blame God, even them. Instead, we have to blame the one who's behind all the attack that we experience in life. And that's Satan. And Satan often wants to attack you so that you do indeed blame God for the attack he's laid on you. He's trying to shake you up in your faith. And he certainly had been quite successful with what he did in Naomi's faith. If you know that you haven't done anything to cause the problems you're facing, then consider this the enemy testing you in the same way he was testing Job. Trying to see if taking everything away from Job was, would cause him to curse God's name and walk away from God entirely. But Job didn't do that. And we can either. Job passed the test. The test that both Satan was putting on him, and that God subsequently allowed, for his purposes. God works out all things together for good, for those who love him, and for those who are called, according to his purposes. And God, as we will see will in fact work all things out together for his good, in both Naomi's life and also in the life of Ruth. It's just a shame that Naomi failed to see it at this point. Ruth seemed to have more faith. So we want to be like Ruth. We want to have a stronger faith when all seems to have gone south. And God will soon greatly bless the faithfulness of Ruth. And we'll be seeing that very soon. So verse 22, finishing up chapter 1. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. And next week they meet Boaz. And as we will see, Boaz does indeed paint a wonderful, beautiful picture of the work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So this has been the West Coast Bible Teacher, everyone. God bless you, and I'll see you next week.